Hey guys, welcome back to the Wisdom and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Boucher, and this is where we cut through the Christianese and tradition-based thoughts that hinder us from the limitless lifestyles that we as actual children of God are designed to walk in. So let's go ahead and dive into the Word and see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Just love. Praise God. Yeah. Acceptance. Hallelujah. No shame before the Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's right. Father, we come in. Ah, We breathe in your love for us, Lord God. We breathe it in. We allow it to saturate every cell, Lord God, every part of our being. We allow your love to define those things about us, Lord God. We allow every part of us to be defined by you and you alone. Allow your love to redefine it all. Praise God. We are simply made in the likeness and image of our Father. And when you made us, it says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Glory to God. Oh, how we worship you. Praise God. You can go ahead and be seated. Glory to God. Thank you, praise and worship team. Hallelujah. Man, God is so good. His presence should always redefine us. Or show us our true definition, if you want to put it that way. Everything else is a lie. Glory to God. What have we been talking about this last several weeks? Yep, Christian character. It's been really good. Um, turn over to Second Peter chapter 1, if you would, and I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. We thank you for your word. It's the living word of God. It lives and abides forever. We thank you, Lord God, right now, that this word, Father God, it, it, <laughs> praise God, is settled forever in heaven. In 10 million years, we're still going to be reading the same word. Praise God. So right now we, take, we partake of the, Father God, the eternalness of it right now. This very moment in time, we, we partake of the eternalness of your word. What have you already ordained for this night? What have you already spoken over this night? What have you already commissioned to be said by the Holy Ghost? And I know it's not just about what I say, it's about what we hear. So right now, Father God, we just tune our hearts in, Father God, because we want to hear it all. Praise God. We just want to get it all. And so we just thank you that we have eyes to see, we have ears to hear, we have hearts that understand. Glory to God. And we're good ground. We proclaim it right now. We're good ground. Praise God. We're hundredfold ground. That's who we are. We choose that right now. We're hundredfold ground. Praise God. <laughs> we just want it all. You died for it all, so we just choose to receive it all. And we just thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Second Peter in chapter 1. And uh, several weeks ago, I mean, we've had, man, such good teaching on this. And uh, I just want to hit a different, just another side of it. There's all kinds of facets to this. But um, I talked about this a little bit several weeks ago in Second Peter chapter 1. And he starts off here in verse 5. And he says, but also for this very reason, 
giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, like we've said before, that's basically just another list of the fruit of the Spirit. This is Peter's version of what Paul wrote in, in Galatians by the Holy Ghost. And here he says, verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are kind of important, aren't they? He says, But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to what? To blindness. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So these are really important. I just want you to see how important these are. And though he goes on in verse 10, he says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, what does it say? You'll never stumble. Not even a little bit. Praise God. You'll never stumble. Verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Glory to God. See, that's what we need. We need the abundant supply of the kingdom. That's what we need. And if we have the abundant supply of the kingdom, we'll never fall. But if I, if, if I do these things, this is what's going to be given to me. But notice verse 12. It says here, for this reason. He goes, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. That's pretty strong, isn't it? He goes, I'm going to remind you always about this. And, uh, and then he goes on. He goes, um, though you know and are established in the present truth. He goes, I, he goes, I'm not telling you anything you already know. I'm just reminding you about these things. Verse 13, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. He goes, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to remind you about this. Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. In other words, he's going, I'm, going to, I'm going to go be with the Lord pretty soon, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Verse 15, Moreover, notice what he says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. <laughs> so he goes, not only am I going to remind you always while I'm here, but even after I'm gone, I'm going to make sure you have a reminder of these all the time. Are these important? This is so important. It's like, you know, like there's a lot of things that we teach, and, and everything has, has its value, obviously. But it's, to me, it's kind of like a house. And how, you know, in your, in your house, you have exterior walls, you have interior walls, and different walls do different things. Some walls are what we call load-bearing walls, right? Anybody know what a load-bearing wall is? It holds up the roof, right? That's what a load-bearing wall does. It holds up the roof. Kind of important, isn't it? Okay, now other walls in your house are not load-bearing. All they do is separate rooms. So they'll separate the bathroom from the kitchen. They'll separate the bedroom from another bedroom. They're not load-bearing, but they're important, aren't they? But they're not load-bearing. But you see, all the walls are important, but there's some that are load-bearing. In other words, if you take the load-bearing wall out, guess what happens? The roof falls in. Kind of important. Okay? So this right here, like I say, there's a lot of things we can teach, and everything has its importance. Everything has its value, but there are certain things that are load-bearing. There are certain things that hold up your whole, your, your whole life. This is one of those things. This is a load-bearing wall. You know, and we have other things that are very important. Prosperity is important, isn't it? Healing is very important, isn't it? Those are not load-bearing. But they're important. But they're not load-bearing. This is a load-bearing wall. Okay? This, and the sad thing is, is that in, in our camp, in the circles of, of, the, of faith teaching and different things that we get involved with, we don't really hear this teaching a whole lot. And we need it. It's a load-bearing wall. You know? And so what we have is a whole lot of Christians who end up with really nice walls dividing their bedrooms with no roof because it's, cl- it's caved in. <laughs> but they've got really nice divider walls. You know? And they've been building those for years. 
You know, and that's all they ever want to hear is how do I get, you know, more prosperity and more healing and more faith and more everything. And like I said, faith is a load-bearing wall, but only, understand, faith is, is part of this. Faith works by love. And so it's, it's understanding that, that this load-bearing wall, this thing called Christian character is so important that Peter thought it was so important. He goes, listen, as long as I'm on the earth, I'm going to remind you about this over and over and over and over again. And, and even when I'm gone, I'm going to make sure that there is a reminder that you will always have. <laughs> That's huge to me. It tells me that we need to be, we need to be diligent about these things. We, he says, give all diligence to these things. And so, now, uh, so this is what we've been talking about is just building Christian character and, and godly character. And so tonight, I just want to, uh, you know, we all know it's important. We all know, at least we should anyway, we should know that it's important. But um, uh, tonight, I want to kind of get into a little bit of the how. What are the steps that I take to, to building this? Um, go, turn over to Galatians chapter 5. And we've read several of these verses over the last few weeks, different ones, Pastor Brian, Pastor Tim, different ones. Um, and all these are, are scriptures that we've talked about, you know, throughout the weeks. Dave covered some of this. Um, and it's all been really, really good stuff. Uh, and, and it's just, I love the fact that we all have different, different facets, different things the Lord tells us. And uh, this is just a different, like I said, I'm kind of a how-to kind of a guy. And, um, and so I just want to talk about how to do all this stuff. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, let me start here. In verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and what? You won't fulfill us of the flesh. So that kind of gives me a big key, doesn't it? It says, just walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will fill the lust of the flesh. It says, for the, lust, the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you do not, the thing, you do, not do the things that you wish. So he tells me right there, why don't we do the things we want to do? Because there's a war going on here between the Spirit and the flesh. Then verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Uh, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, uh, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of the which, verse 21, of, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's talking about, once again, he's talking about walking in the kingdom here on the earth. He's not talking about heaven. Heaven is a place. The kingdom is a lifestyle. Okay, And when Jesus was on the earth, when he said, Behold, the kingdom of God is here, did heaven come down? No. But a lifestyle was present, presented. Do you understand? So, and he told the disciples, when they went out healing the sick and casting out devils, he goes, wherever you go, you say, you say the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? But he wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about a lifestyle. He was talking about living godly here on the earth and walking in the abundance that God has for us on the earth. Heaven is a place. Okay? But the kingdom is a lifestyle. Okay, and so here he's talking about this. He's saying, uh, saying, listen, the people who do these things on the earth, they can't inherit the kingdom of God. It says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, now once again, this is the same kind of list that we just read in Second Peter. It says, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, what does it say? Let's also walk in the Spirit. And so the key here is walking in the Spirit. Once again, back in verse 16, he says, Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So this is what I want to get into tonight, is what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? How do we walk in the Spirit? Um, uh, A lot of times what we end up doing is is we, we are focusing on the wrong thing. Here he says, if I just walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
He didn't say, um, he doesn't say here, you know, uh, battle the flesh all of your life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say contend with the flesh. He doesn't say strive against the flesh. He says, what's the answer to dealing with your flesh? Walking in the Spirit, right? That's the answer. The answer is, not, like, we've, we've, we, you guys all know this, how if I sit here and I say to you, whatever you do right now, whatever you do, do not think of an elephant. Well, what just happened? You thought of an elephant, right? And so this is what people do with sin. They, you know, they're going, I know I'm not supposed to sin, but the whole time they're just trying to deal with sin. And so they're sitting there going, oh, I cannot think of an elephant today. Oh, uh, I cannot think of an elephant today. And every time they're doing that, what are they thinking about? An elephant. But you see, he doesn't say to come against sin. It says just walk in the Spirit. Just walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we've been, we've been focusing on sin, and so many times people get, preach it the wrong way, and they actually preach this big sin-heavy message, and so what people do is they end up leaving very sin-conscious instead of very Spirit-conscious. Because if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is that true or not? Is it true? So if I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? Okay, so then that's all I have to do. And, uh, and uh, I like what he says here in, in verse, um, uh, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, it says what? Let us also walk in the Spirit. He goes, you're already alive by the Spirit. You are already alive by the Spirit. Right now, guess why you're alive? By the Spirit. That's the whole reason why you're alive. Your spiritual life came by the Spirit, right? You couldn't do anything to get saved other than believe God's work, right? He goes, if you live that way, then why don't you just walk that way? So your walk should look just like your life. In other words, the spiritual life that you have on on the inside of you right now, your spirit man that's alive to God right now, your spirit man that is the righteousness of God right now, your spirit man that is holy and righteous before God right now, is it that way because you did anything in and of your flesh? No. It, It got that way by grace through faith, right? So he's going, if you live by the Spirit, just walk by the Spirit. But the problem is, is that we have been made alive by the Spirit, and then after that, we think that we have to overcome sin by the arm of our flesh. He goes, no, no, if you live by the Spirit, just walk by the Spirit. The walk of the Spirit should look just like your life. In other words, your, your spiritual life. Your, in other words, uh, the same faith that got me saved, the same humility that got me saved, the same grace that got me saved, is the same faith and, and grace that's going to actually cause me to walk by the Spirit. Does that make sense? And it's not a big arm wrestling mass against these things, and we have to get that clear. Um, now here it says to walk by the Spirit. I love that. If I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so first of all, what, what does the definition of walk, what does it mean to walk? Well, obviously, we know what walking is. Um, but to put it simply, walking is when you're making a progressive movement, movement forward one step at a time. Does that make sense? So you're progressing forward one step at a time. Does that make sense? That's what walking means, right? <laughs> okay. It's not running. It's not bounding, it's not leaping, it's not jumping, it's just walking, right? And so if I walk by the Spirit, then what should be happening? I should be making progressive forward progress one step at a time. Okay, if I'm walking by the Spirit, then that means that I'm getting better at this. But the problem is, is that we don't look at it as a walk. We think of it like a destination. We think of it, when we read this, we think, oh, we need to walk by the Spirit. So now suddenly, my whole life is going to look like the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to be, you know, Jesus walking on the water all the time. And then we, get, we beat ourselves up when that doesn't happen overnight. 
But a walk is just a walk, isn't it? A walk is just, uh, it is a, 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 a forward progression, one step at a time. That's just a walk. Right? We just need to walk. This is simple. Walking is easy. Walking is one of the easiest things we'll ever do. Praise God. And the thing is, you know, everybody, you know, I talked about this a little bit last time. Obviously, when I was a kid and my, my siblings were older, they had different paces that they walked at. But even when you grow and you become an adult, you still have different pace than somebody else around you. Right? You ever watch me and Rachel walk, you'll know this. Because Rachel, she speed walks compared to me. Okay? I stroll. There's only a couple places that I intentionally don't stroll. One is the mall. I do not stroll at the mall. Okay? Unless I'm just killing time, then I'll find a bench. You know what I'm talking about? But, uh, <laughs> but I don't stroll at the mall, and I don't stroll like at Walmart or whatever. I conquer. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and so it's not that I can't walk fast. It's just that 99% of the time I choose not to walk fast because I'm just, I stroll is what I do, you know. And, uh, but now Rachel, she's just, you know, she's gone, you know. And so if, if, if we say, hey, you want to go for a walk, she knows what I mean. You want to go for a stroll. And so she has to, like, really, you know, back her speed way down. And I'll kind of pick up mine a little bit, but not that much. I don't really compromise that much on my stroll. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the things we, we did together uh, when we were uh, first hanging out, we went for a lot of walks. And, uh, and I, I, I didn't realize how slow I walked until I started walking with her, you know. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you know. She's, like, working up a sweat, you know. And I'm just like, come on, you know, this is a stroll. And, uh, uh, but I <laughs> what's funny is I noticed about myself is she'd start taking off. And I would intentionally start walking slower. <laughs> and I would just do it, you know. And it's like, I wasn't trying to meet her speed because I wasn't going to do that. So I'm just like, no, I'm just walking slower, you know. And so she would just like, she'd be five paces ahead and she'd oh, you're back there. You know, but the point of this is, is that you have a speed that you walk spiritually. And I have a speed that I walk spiritually. And it's not my job to keep up with you. And it's not your job to keep up with me. You understand that? We just walk. That's what we do. But don't beat yourself up if you're not 20 miles down the road tomorrow. Because this is a walk. You know, and so understand that, that as you walk things out, you know, walking is very anticlimactic, isn't it? It's not really exciting at all. You're just walking. You know, but the thing is, the, the, the longer you walk, and you're still walking, and you're still walking, taking just very, you know, almost un- seemingly unexciting steps, seemingly, you know, un, you know, huge, there's no huge experiences going on all the time, but you're just taking steps. And the next thing you know, you look back, and you could be miles down the road. Right? This is how it works. But so many times people get beat up because, you know, a week into their, into their walk, they haven't gone 10 miles. And they're going, oh, I can't believe I'm still on the same block. Well, you're walking. You know, you're still making progress. But that's why he calls it a walk. We walk in the Spirit. It's what we do. And, and walking is something that requires, it requires a lot of stuff. But it's a building of character, you know. And, and as I walk, it says here, if I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so if I continue just to walk, if I focus on my walk with the Spirit, the flesh just kind of fades away. It just kind of fades off. And, uh, but I have to focus on walking. I have to focus on something. We're all being, the Bible says we're being built up a spiritual house. God's building us up, praise God. But that's a process, isn't it? You know, and so we have to understand that, that the habits in my life did not happen overnight. Right? 
They didn't just start like that. They got built. Habits get built in your life. Well, guess what, guess what godly habits require? Some time. They've got to get built. You know, godly character is something I build in my life. Godly character is something that gets built one day at a time. It gets built one step at a time. It gets built one decision at a time. It's not something that happens overnight. But what we do is we, we really get so condemned so many times and the enemy uses our habits and different things like that, these habits that have attached themselves to us, and he'll use those things to beat us up. Man, I've been through this so much. When I was a younger Christian, I, I'd get so condemned and so, you know, just so down on myself because I, I ended up slipping in, in some area that I you know, didn't want to again and again and again. But you know what I had to focus on? Walking with the Spirit. I can't focus on that. Because the Bible says, if I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if I am fulfilling the lust of the flesh, then guess what I'm not doing? I'm not walking in the Spirit. I'm not focusing on that. You know, and and I'll guarantee you, if you focus your fight against the flesh, you will fall every time. But if you focus on walking in the Spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we need to we need to learn this this whole walk. I mean, like Rachel, she knows how I am. Like if I if I get in a project in the garage, if I'm out there doing some woodwork or doing something, if I I've got a project going in the garage, you know, she knows not to come out and just talk to me about any old thing, because I'm a dude and I get focused on stuff. I don't know about you know other dudes, but I get goal oriented and I want to conquer the project at hand. And so she she can come out. and She says, when you get a chance. Could we talk about this? Yep. But that's all I want to talk about it. Because I'm doing something. I'm focused on something. You know? And so if she comes up, you know, like, so we've been married 17 years now, as of like last week or something. And, and she, she and, uh, and she, you know, she's learned over 17 years that, you know, if she comes up and she goes, oh, can we, and I just look at her. And there's just, uh, I guess I have a look that says, I'm in the middle of something. And she goes, okay, well, I'll talk to you later. Okay. You know, now she respects that. Praise God that she does. And, and I've, I've learned to be patient and do different things too and, and compromise and things. But at the same token, what my point is this, is that we should be so focused on walking in the Spirit that the flesh can't bother us. Okay? We should be so focused on, on setting our mind on things above and on doing the project given to us, which is walking in the Spirit. If we're so focused on that, I don't have time for anything else. I honestly don't have time to put up with the flesh when I'm walking in the Spirit. Because I'm focused. I'm walking in the Spirit. I don't have time for condemnation if I'm walking in the Spirit. I don't have time for guilt and shame if I'm walking in the Spirit. You know, and the enemy and everybody else can come up and say, hey, wait a minute, no, don't have time for you. I'm walking in the Spirit. Man, I tell you, this is a, this is a huge key to life. You can deal with it just like that if you just get focused on walking in the Spirit. But the problem is people try to arm wrestle the flesh, and the whole time they're losing every day, and they're getting in more and more condemnation because they're not doing what the Bible says. It says, if I want to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, I simply have to walk in the Spirit. It's just really simple. He didn't, he didn't make this hard. This is really simple. Now, uh, turn over to Daniel chapter 6. So, how do we walk in the Spirit? Praise God. We're going to get into this tonight. Just, I want to give you a few points on just how to do this. Daniel chapter 6. And the first thing, point number one, if you want to put it this way, is we need to set our goal. What is our goal for walking in the Spirit? What is it that, in other words, what can our life look like? In, in Daniel chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, 
of whom Daniel was one, so, so that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would have, was suffer no loss. Now, verse 3, it says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because, it says, what? An excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to setting him over what? The whole realm. Praise God. Now, you understand, he's in Babylon at this point in time. He is a, 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 a Hebrew slave, and ba- by the Babylonians have taken the, the, the Jews to Babylon, and he is, he's a slave, is what he is, and yet he's not, in other words, he's not in his homeland. He has no place of leadership here. He has no voice of influence, but the king looks at him and says, I'm going to set you over the whole realm. Praise God. That's pretty big. But it's because he had an excellent spirit. Now let's go on here. It says, um, uh, So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault. Because why? He was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Wow. That's pretty strong. I mean, they are, they're looking at his life, looking for something that they can get on him about, and they say, no, 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 there's nothing that we can get on him about because he is, number one, he's faithful, but he's, he, is, he has an excellent spirit about him, and there's no error or fault found in him at all. Man. Now, the, the question is this, what can our life look like? Can we actually have a life that has no error or fault found in it? He's an Old Testament, not even born again, not even filled with the Holy Ghost, not even a new creation, not even the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and here he is actually living a life that's filled with excellence and faithfulness to the point where nobody can find fault in him. Can we do that? Praise God, yeah, we have a better promise. Praise God, we have a better covenant. we got the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if, if all we think is that we are just sinners... If that's all we think, then that's all we're ever going to be. I'm just, I'm just, the, the first thing I want us to understand is we need to set our goal high. We need, that, we need to set our goal so high that we can say, you know what? We can live just like Jesus lived. Is that possible? Praise God. The only way he did it was by the Holy Ghost. Well, how are we going to do it? By the Holy Ghost. Praise God we got the same Holy Ghost. Amen? So here, here we, you know, we need to begin to just challenge ourselves and say, oh, how high do we believe we can live? How high do, uh, is, are our standards in life? What I, uh, the, the one thing that I say every now and then is I just don't want to live a loophole lifestyle. And what that means is I don't want to try to find loopholes in everything, try to get by with something. You know what I'm talking about? We're talking about living with godly character. We cannot have a loophole lifestyle. We can't have this lifestyle that says, well, you know, I, you know I, I'm not sure, but I don't see anything wrong with it, so I might as well just do that. The moment my heart gives me a question about it is the moment I shouldn't do it. But if we're trying to find loopholes, turn over there to, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. See, if we, if we can set our goal, our goal will determine our course. And so, if, uh, like I said, if, if my goal is Portland... If I'm, if I'm going somewhere and my goal is Portland, well, then I know which way I need to go. I need to go north. Uh, but if my goal is, you know, um, Ashland, then I need to go south. My goal is going to determine my course. And if I, if I set my goal high, and I begin to set my goal so that I know that I can live a lifestyle that is so high, that I can live a lifestyle that is sin-free, that I can live a lifestyle that is above reproach, then that begins to set my course. 
then I realize that, okay, there are certain things that I've got to, I've, I obviously have to, I have to set things out of my life. I have to put things out. I've got to actually begin to pursue God in a higher way. But over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is interesting here. And this is all about being eternally minded. Notice what Paul says here. And uh, he, he starts getting on to something. Verse 1 of chapter 6. And he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So here he is. He's, he's talking about the fact that they were starting to go and they were starting to, to sue their brothers and sisters in the Lord instead of actually just dealing it through, with it through the church and stuff. Verse 2, it says, Do you know, not know that the, that the saints will what? Judge the world. So instantly, he's, he's talking about one thing. He's going, he goes, you guys, are, you guys are starting to bring up these petty nonsense things to, to an earthly judge instead of dealing with it in the church. He goes, don't you know who you are? Don't you know that you're going to judge the world? He goes, and if the world will be judged by you, uh, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know, what does it say? That you'll judge angels. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? He goes, don't you get this yet? And he's, he's, he's actually, he's rebuking them because they're acting as if they don't know this. Their actions on this earth are representing the fact that they don't know who they really are eternally. He's going, you're dealing with these petty things on the earth. Don't you know who you are? You should be living based on who you are, not based on these petty things. He goes on, he says, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and, 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 that, uh, he goes, and, and that before unbelievers? Verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? I think that's an interesting thing. He goes, you should let yourself be cheated before you take these matters to an earthly judge. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, let's keep going. I won't get into that. It says, uh, <laughs> verse 8, it says, No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your own brethren. Verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So here he is. He starts talking about this again, that you can't inherit the kingdom of God if you walk in these ways. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. This is awesome. He goes, and such were... Now, what tense is that? Past tense. He says, and such were some of you. But you were what? Washed. And you were what? Praise God. (laughs) And you were what? justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God. He goes, listen, so we need to start living a certain way. We need to start living like we were washed, like we were sanctified, and like we were justified. This is how we need to start living. If we're living this way, we won't fulfill all those other things. We won't actually walk in the things of the flesh. But here he says, this is how we need to start living. And now... Uh, uh, like, you know, when Pastor Brian was talking about sanctification last time and all that, it's, it's really good because we need to understand that, that yeah, you know, you have, um, uh, we, in order to understand sanctification, what sanctification simply means this. It simply means to be set apart for specific use. Okay, that's all it means. It means to be made holy. That's what it means. Okay? And so it's, that's all sanctification means, is to be set apart and to be made holy. Okay? Now, uh, uh, if you understand spirit, so you, you know, we, we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body, we know that our spirit was sanctified, just like he says here. We were sanctified. Our spirit was sanctified. But we also have a soul, right? 
And our soul is being sanctified. Okay? And, and so we understand that, obviously, over in, in, uh, um, in Thessalonians, you know, where it says that, you know, that the, may the God of peace sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body. So our spirit's already been sanctified. It's not going to get any more sanctified than it is right now, right? But my soul hasn't been. My soul is being sanctified. Okay? But when people don't understand spirit, soul, and body, they get all that mixed up. You know? And so they, they get all weird about that. Um, but here he says, though, notice it goes on, verse 12. Now, here, I love, this is where I want to get to, verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not what? Helpful or edifying. He says, all things are not lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That is a huge statement. And he's saying, listen, he goes, I can do, you know, he goes, there's no sin on this planet that I can do that's going to cause me to, to fall out of heaven. But at the same time, what I do on this earth is it going to either edify or not edify me. It's going to help me or not help me. And if I do things on this earth and I give myself over to things, he says here, notice what he says. He goes, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. It's lawful. I can do it. Is it lawful or not? Yep. How many things are lawful? All things are lawful, right? But he goes, but I won't be brought under the power of any. He understood something here. He understood that what I give myself to has nothing to do with the law. It has nothing to do with whether it's lawful for me to do it. It has to do with my eternal stance and what I'm actually doing. And he goes, and if I, if I actually choose to give myself to some things, I bring myself under the power of those things. And that's the choice that we have to decide. You know, and when we're, we're building godly character here, we need to set up a lifestyle that has no loopholes. So that it's not like, you know, how children can be sometimes. It's like, well, you never told me not to do that. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you never said I couldn't do that. Well, some things are just thinking common sense, you know. But you see, Christians have that attitude a lot of times where they're trying to find a loophole in their life. They're trying to find a loophole in their character to where they're going, well, I don't see it where it's wrong anywhere. What does your heart tell you? If you have a question about it, it's wrong. The moment my heart questions me, I'm wrong. I never have to justify what I do because I just have to follow my heart. You know, and now, said, everything is lawful, right? All things are lawful for me, right? Are all things lawful for you? Yep. But not all things are helpful. And if you give yourself to some things, it says you'll be brought under the power of it. He says that over there in Romans chapter 6. Um, turn there to Romans chapter 6 real quick. But I just want us to, the first thing we have to do, if we're going to actually build character and we're going to begin to walk some things out, we have to set a very high standard for our lives. Uh, Colossians chapter 6, he says in verse 16, Romans, excuse me, yeah, Romans. Romans chapter 6, and verse 16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And that's what Paul's saying. He's going, listen, the moment you give yourself to, to obedience to something, you come under the power of that thing. And so, just learning that, that it, this is not about, it's not about right or wrong. It's not about uh, law or, or you know, being lawful or unlawful. It's not about going to heaven or going to hell anymore. Once I get born again, I'm going to heaven. Praise God. All things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. <laughs> and some things, if I, if, I, if I actually give myself, I'll actually get under the power of those things. And now I'm in bondage to those things. I've become the slave of those things. And so, it's about thinking higher. And like Paul said, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Don't you know that you're going to judge the world to come? We need to start living that way. 
We need to start thinking that way. If I think that way, if I continue to think eternally, man, I tell you, that, that, just, that deals with my heart so much here on the earth. The more eternally I think, the less temporal I get involved with. The less nonsense I even think about. Because why would I dare give up? Why would I dare, um, how should I put it? Um, you know, right now, in this earth, right, the, the earth walk that I am in right now, I'm learning how to rule the world. That's what's happening right now. Right? That's what you're learning how to do right now is rule the world. You're learning how to judge angels. But if you give yourself to temporal things all the time, then you, your, your, learning, your learning curve goes way down because now suddenly you're just giving yourself over to temporal thing after temporal thing after temporal thing, and you're tied yourself to, to the flesh, which is just weakness all the time. And so by the time you get to heaven, you're not going to have a clue as to how to run the world. Man, I don't want that. I need, to learn, I need to use it right now and learn how to, how to actually rule things and learn how to actually understand that there's, there's eternal things going on. And just plain and simple, we just need to li- live higher. That's just how we need to do. We're Christians, right? Amen. So we need to live higher. There is, we should have no loopholes. You know, it, it's kind of like you know, one time I was talking to somebody about this, how it's, it's like driving down the highway, you know, down the freeway. And you know on the, on the side of the freeway, they have that rumple strip? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the grrr, you know. And so it's for if you fall asleep, you know, you're like, you, you, you veer over there and it's going, and it's trying to get you to wake up so you can get back, you know, to where you're supposed to be. You know, you're not supposed to drive over there. I don't know if you know that. That's not a safe place to drive. You know, because if you've, if you've wandered over there, you're on the wrong part of the road. Okay? And that's where a lot of Christians try to drive their whole life, though. They're over in the rumple strip because they're going, I'm still okay, I'm still okay. And it's like, wait a minute here. And they're going, I don't know why I can't hear the voice of God. Because the is too loud. You're over in the flesh way too much. We're not supposed to be living over there. We're supposed to be living you know, with, with this higher way of life where we don't hear that. Now, praise God, if I do hear it, what do I do? I make the adjustment. Glory to God. For the Holy Ghost. Glory to God for the Word of God. Glory to God for the body of Christ around us that can actually go, you know? And you go, oh, okay, let me get back. You know? And I don't, I don't sit there in condemnation going, oh, man, five miles ago I heard that sound and I'm just a loser. Apparently I can't drive. No, just get back in and just go. Praise God. But uh, understand, we shouldn't live over on that strip. That's not what the strip is there for. Understand that. You know, but if you have a loophole lifestyle, then your whole life is on the rumple strip. Always trying to get by with something. Always trying to say, well, I don't, you know, the way I read it, the way I read the word, I can do this. No! (laughs) That's not, that's, you understand that? I mean, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard people say this stuff that they try to get by with anything. I could come up with scripture to prove all kinds of sin if you wanted me to. But you understand, I want to live a higher life, right? I just want to live higher. And, and if I can just live higher, then I don't have to deal with all this nonsense. And I can actually get, prepare my heart for eternity. Now, so, so the first thing is, is we just need to set our eyes higher than what the world tells us. You know, you know it says that Daniel had that, that excellent spirit about him. You know what the word excel means? Or, or the, obviously, excellent comes from the word excel. The word excel means that your standard is higher than the, than, than the culture around you. That's what it means. It means that you actually, all of the culture around you, the majority around you that has its consensus of what, uh, what is right and wrong is at one level, and your, your, your standard is at a higher level. That's what excellent means. So Daniel was looking around going, everybody around me says this is okay, but I say this is what's okay, and it's a higher level. That's what having an excellent spirit means. 
It means I don't let the majority tell me what's right and wrong. I let my heart tell me. I let the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. I let the Word of God be the standard of what's, what's going on. And even if the whole world says something's right, but the Word of God says it's wrong, guess what? It's wrong. And I live higher. And I reach for higher. I don't reach for lower. I don't reach for the thing. I don't reach for the common denominator that everybody wants to agree on. I just want to reach for the higher. I just want to go up higher. You know, and that's what having that excellent spirit is about. It's saying, you know what? I know that... It talks about Noah, how when he built the ark, it says that here he was a preacher of righteousness. And it says, and as he built the ark, it says that he condemned the world around him. Man, that's strong. Do you know he probably got some flack for that? Because he, as he's, he's building it, he's just doing what God told him to do. He's not preaching condemnation, he's preaching righteousness. He called him a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't a preacher of condemnation. But his actions actually bred condemnation into the people around him. So with every plank that went up, with every timber that went up, people are getting condemned more and more. And, and they're actually blaming him for judging them. Have you ever had anybody do that in your life? You're just living for Jesus. Man, I've had this happen. <laughs> I'm just living for Jesus. And I'm just doing what God told me to do. And they're like, well, you just think you're holier than me, don't you? You just think you're just self-righteous, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's happening. I'm building my boat. That's all I'm doing. I'm just going higher. And I'm, the whole time, what was Noah doing? Inviting them to come along? That's what, that's what we all should be doing. We're, we're, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Praise God. You know, we invite everybody. Come on. This thing is free. But what happens, though, is people actually get condemned by our very lifestyle if we're just reaching higher. Until they get saved. Glory to God. And then they can just join on. And then they can start reaching higher. But I just want us to just, like I said, the first thing we do is we set our goal higher. I I just want to have a sin-free life. How about you? Totally sin-free. No sin involved. Amen? No flesh involved. Just get so free of this flesh. Get so free of the bondage of all this nonsense. Just live free. Man, that's what Jesus paid for. Um, The the next thing we have to do, the second thing we have to do, is we need to learn to set our hearts. Now, um, uh, turn over to, uh, let me see here. Uh, James chapter 4. Praise God. Are we getting something? James chapter 4. How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, the first thing we have to understand is what does he have for us? He has a sin-free lifestyle. And some people who have been taught their whole life that they can't live sin-free. Well, that's not true. Um, The Word says, uh, you know, in in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we sin. It says, if we sin. It doesn't say when we sin, does it? It says, if we sin. That tells me that we don't have to sin. Praise God. (laughs) It doesn't say when you sin. It says, if you sin. And so that means that I don't have to sin. Uh, but praise God. It's just a matter of walking it out. And, and how we get to this place is not by willpower or by self-discipline. It's by the grace of God. But over here in James chapter 4, we see this very clearly. And he says um, in verse 1, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the desires from, uh, for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a really strong verse, isn't it? <laughs> wow, praise God. It says, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Wow. He's talking about just, he, now he's talking to, James is talking to a born-again, spirit-filled, believing church. 
and yet he's telling he's saying you are adulterers and you're adulteresses. <laughs> and he's just raiming them out. And he's going, listen, you, you've, you've tied yourself to the world. You've become a friend of the world. But yet the, the Holy Spirit that is on the inside of you, he yearns jealously for you. He wants all of you. He's actually jealous over you. And you've only given him part. You've only actually handed over part, and the rest of it belongs to the world. I don't know if you know what that means. I mean, I've lived there. I know what that means. I know what it's like to be born again, spirit-filled, loving Jesus, and at the same time a friend of the world, and here I am hating myself. Because I'm a divided person. And I know it every day. But here he says, he gives us the answer. Praise God. He doesn't leave it there. Amen? Verse 6. The word but. Hallelujah for but. But, what does he say? Glory to God. He gives more grace. So what's the answer to all this stuff? Grace. Praise God, it's always grace. It's always more grace. That's all I ever need is more grace. But then he tells me, he says, therefore he says, God resists what? The proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and what's going to happen? Yeah, he'll flee from you, glory to God. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and what's going to happen? He'll lift you up, glory to God. He gives us the key here. He says, listen, if we're, if, if we're friends with the world, if we've got things going on that are worldly, if we've, if we've you know, made decisions that are worldly, here's the key. He gives us more grace. Praise God for grace. It's the grace of God that, that, that causes everything to happen in our life. He doesn't say He'll give you strength to, to you know, overcome in your own power. No, He just gives you more grace. Praise God. And, and, but He gives grace to the humble. And so, obviously, like I said, we have to set our heart. The Word says in, in Matthew chapter 12 that the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things, right? It also says in Proverbs chapter 4 that you have to guard your heart with all diligence because why? Yeah, out of it proceeds the issues of life. Everything comes out of your heart. And so if I'm going to walk by the Spirit, it's going to be a heart walk. It's going to come out of my heart. It's not going to come out of my flesh. It's going to come out of my heart. And so one of the things that has to happen, though, is I have to, I have to begin to, once I've set my goal for a sin-free life, now I have to actually begin to set my heart. And that, that the heart that I have to do, or the way I have to set my heart, is I have to set it with humility. I have to allow humility to rule and reign over my heart. Because I know one thing, the only way I'm going to overcome sin in my life is by the grace of God. And He gives grace to the humble. Praise God. It's through humility. Everything is through humility. You know, uh, Dave was talking about that a few weeks ago. It's all about humility. Uh, in fact, obviously, turn over there to 1 Peter chapter 5 where we read this, this again. Now, it's funny because, you, know, uh, you know, we're talking about walking in the Spirit. Now, uh, have you guys ever seen, obviously you probably have, you ever seen, uh, you know, Walking is not something we're, we're, that we're born with. We have to learn how to walk, right? Every baby is not born learn how to walk, right? I mean, they, are, they have to learn that. They, have to, they actually have to learn that after, over time. What, when does usually a baby learn how to walk? What's the age group there? About a year or something? Yeah, somewhere in there. Uh, depending on the kid, I'm sure. You know, and, um, but so understand that, have you ever seen a kid learn how to walk? It is hysterical. Because you know how they are. You know, uh, obviously first they're just, you know, doing whatever, then they're like, then they're holding on to things, you know, and then they're just like venturing, you know, and, and as they do it, you know, it's just like, they, they, the, the look in their eye is so awesome, you know, because it's like, you know, it's just the look of wonder, you know, like, I'm entering a new universe here, you know, and they, they, the way that they take those steps, you know, it's just like, 
you know, they'll take the first step, and then usually they're down, you know. And then, you know, after a while, they'll, they'll take a couple steps. But, you know, it's not like a real walk of confidence, is it? It's not like they walk up and they're like, yeah, I'm going over there. Get me something out of the fridge, Mom. You know, it doesn't work that way. You know, they're just, they're just like in this meandering mode of like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing it, you know. And, of course, what are the parents doing? They're like, whoo, you know. You know, one of them is usually right here. Wait, come on, come on. You, you know, and they're just, just, you know, just elated that they took four steps. You know, and then when they take five, they're elated again. And then when they take seven, they're elated again. And they have all these movies about it that they bore everybody with and all that. But, uh, <laughs> but you understand that the walk of a babe is comical. And y- now the funny thing is about a baby, a baby doesn't have pride. A pr- everybody's watching him, right? But he's not embarrassed by when he falls. He just gets up and does it again. And what does he do? He falls. And he gets up, and he does it again. You understand? We have to learn how to walk. We have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. We're newborn babes, right? You know, when you get born again, you're a newborn babe. And you have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And one of the things that humility will do, humility will get you over yourself. So that you're not embarrassed to fall. And you're not embarrassed to stumble. And you're not embarrassed to look kind of funny as you're learning this walk. You know? And you just got to get over yourself. You just got to humble yourself and become like a little child. Like, you know what Jesus said to do? And you just got to, okay, you know what? Here we go, man. I may have fallen the last 10, 20, 30 times, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up again. And I'm going to take one more step than I did the last time. And then I'm going to take another one. And then I'm going to take another one. And then after a while, I'm just going to walk this thing out. But it takes a growing thing. You know, it's, it's, there's a learning curve to this stuff, you know? And we have to learn that, that this is not just like some instantaneous thing. And we can't get, up, get on ourselves if we've fallen the last ten times. Just keep going. Praise God. The key is, are you still walking? Are you still getting up? You know, the Word says that the righteous fall seven times, right? And then what does it say? But they get up. Praise God, <laughs> you know? And I, I remember, uh, you know, one, a pastor I knew in, in Seaside, he said this. He said, you know, somebody walked up to him and said, how are you doing? He goes, well, I only got... Two answers. Either I'm up or I'm getting up. There's only two ways to be. Either I'm up or I'm getting up. Praise God. You know what I'm saying? We're just walking. You know, but we need to learn how this thing should be a lot of fun. You know, and, and the thing is, if, if you're as, as Christians, you know, here we are. Uh, we're a well of salvation in this church, aren't we? Praise God. We're a well of salvation. That means we'll have a whole bunch of newborn babes, right? So what we need to stop doing is judging the people who aren't learning how to walk yet. We need to be the ones going, yeah, here we go. Praise God. Come on. You can do it. You know, instead of going, how dare you fall? I can't believe you. You're like 11 months old. It says the book that you should actually be walking by now. Come on. You know, we shouldn't be that way. Parents aren't like that. Nurturers aren't like that. Family isn't like that. Family's rooting you on. Family's going, yeah, they took three. They're going to take the four this time. And when they come back and they go, oh, but I fell. I know. Just get up. Let's go. Praise God. You know, and we are those who, like I said, we, like the Bible says, he is spiritual restorers, brother. That's what we do. Praise God. In the spirit of meekness. Glory to God. Over here in first, chapter 5, uh, it says, um, uh, verse 1, I mean, excuse me, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And what does it say there? Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Praise God. But now, you notice know, it says that we have to be clothed with humility. We have to actually learn to clothe ourselves with this stuff. We clothe ourselves with humility. 
That means that I don't wake up every day with it on, right? I don't wake up every day with my clothes on. I've got to clothe myself, and it's up to me to do it. It says here, clothe yourself with humility. Be clothed with it. So it, that, that, that means something you should, I should be covered up with humility. I should actually cover myself with humility every day. And I have to make sure that it stays on. I have to make sure that everything I do is actually being walked out with humility. And, and realizing that, that if I'm not clothed with humility, I'm not going to go very far in my walk in the Spirit. Because it's kind of like this. If you, um, let's say you are taking a walk, you know, just you're walking down the street here in Oregon today. Nice, beautiful day out, right? Like 84 degrees or whatever it was. Beautiful day. So you could be walking down the street in shorts. And you know, like Rachel, she's wearing this. She's got, she's got you know, whatever uh, those kind of pants are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Capri-type pants, whatever. Uh, some, some, you know, flip-flop things. A short sleeve shirt. Now, she would probably be totally comfortable walking down the street today, right? But what if she actually wore those same clothes and tried to walk up Mount Everest? Not going to happen. You're not going to go very far. You can have all the intention in the world, but you're not prepared because your clothing is wrong. I'm going to tell you this right now, that the environment of the Spirit requires you to be clothed with humility. It requires it. You won't go very far if you're just clothed with selfishness. You won't go very far if you're clothed with with covetousness and envy and greed and all these. You won't go very far. You have to be clothed with humility if you're going to actually walk in the Spirit. Because that environment is one that, that requires humility. And even though we can have all the intention in the world, I, like I said, she could buy her ticket and be totally intending to go climb Mount Everest, but if she's not prepared, she won't last very long. Humility is what prepares us. Because I, I guarantee you this, the walk of the Spirit is all about change. And if I'm not humble, I will not change. Now, so the, the, the last thing in this is... Uh, uh, just uh, we, we talk about setting our goal and setting our heart. The last thing is this, is setting our steps. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Praise God. Are we getting it? Glory to God. Setting our steps. And what I mean by this is we need to uh, uh, fuel our belief. If we believe that we can live a sin-free life, if we believe that we can walk in the Spirit, if we've chosen that, we need to begin to actually adjust our lifestyle around us to create what we call a target-rich environment. You guys know what a target-rich environment is? It means that you're in an environment that will actually aid your goal. Okay? So get a, a target-rich environment. And, and now, here, now notice we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And um, verse uh, 33. Verse 33. It says, do not be deceived. What's the next phrase there? Evil company does what? Corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Now, he goes on talking about this because he goes, do not be deceived. Evil company, what does it do? It corrupts good habits. He goes, you need to awake to this stuff and don't sin. But it's a matter of sometimes people are deceived and they're actually saying that I can hang out with whoever I want to hang out and I can still walk a certain life. You know what I'm talking about? Here he says, no, don't be deceived. Your bad company will corrupt good habits. It will corrupt your intentions. We have to create a target-rich environment. So if I want to walk in the Spirit, I don't need to be just hanging around all the time with, I'm not just talking about people, I'm talking about a culture, right? I'm talking about a culture that is actually steeped in sin. It talks about in Peter how that lot, he vexed his righteous soul by what he saw and what he heard, right? 
It'll corrupt things. It'll actually breathe corruption back into me, and, and, and I'll begin fighting it more and more. And, you know, there's things in my life that I just can't do. I can't be around those things. Because I know. I'm not deceived. I know it's going to corrupt me. You know, and even though I love Jesus, and even though I speak in tongues, and even though I believe the Word, and even though I, I have the Holy Ghost on the inside of me and all of that, it doesn't mean that, that this won't happen. He's talking to a Spirit-filled church, isn't he? The Corinthian church were a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Jesus-loving church. And he goes, don't be deceived. Bad company will corrupt good morals. You know, and so, his, you know, I'm just trying, you know, let's, let's actually begin to build a target-rich environment here. It's like this, you know, when Rachel, when she worked in, in Tulsa back years and years ago, uh, uh, she worked at Walmart for quite a few years, and she worked in the lawn and garden department. And, and she would tell me, you know, after she came out here and stuff, she'd tell me how that people would come in there and they would buy ferns. At Walmart in Tulsa or or in Missouri, you know what ferns don't grow in the Midwest. Out here they're like weeds, right? I mean, my goodness, if you go on a walk out in the woods in the western Oregon, you're going to see ferns, right? And I remember the first time Rachel was out here, and it's still like this today, actually, but the first time she was out here, and we were just taking a hike up in the woods, she's like just looking, and she's like in awe, and I don't even know what she's seeing, you know? And she's like, she's just looking like in awe. I go, what? What is it? She goes, ferns. You guys got ferns. These are amazing. I'm like, what? Those are ferns. Those are weeds. You know, it's like we don't even we don't even try to grow those. You know, and but yet in in the Midwest, people would come and pay big bucks for those things, and they would take them home and they would die over and over again because they're not in a target rich environment. They're not in an environment that will actually allow them to grow. And here's what I'm saying is many people, people, many times we're trying to grow the fruit of a spirit in an environment that it can't grow. Guess where the fruit of the spirit grows? In the walk of the spirit. That's where it grows. We're trying to grow the fruit of the spirit in an environment that kills it. You know, and we're wondering why every time, oh yeah, I so need that in my life. I so need that. Oh, I just, I pray God. Oh, and we go and we get the grace and we get this and we get that. And then we go and we actually, we actually allow our hearts and our eyes and our ears to be susceptible to a culture that's killing the very thing we're trying to grow. And we need to realize, no, no, no let's get target rich. Let's get into an environment. The only way in the Midwest that you're going to grow a fern is if you create a, a greenhouse. Okay, and you actually have a microcosm environment that is made for that fern. So you can be right in the middle of a culture that's against the fern, but create an environment that will actually grow the fern. Does that make sense? That's what we need to do in our life. We are in a culture that is trying to beat the snot out of us spiritually, but we can create, praise God, we can create a greenhouse in our life called the walk of the Spirit. And we can create a microcosm called the kingdom of God in our life, and it will grow the fruit of the Spirit with ease. Because the fruit of the Spirit will grow on the inside of our heart because it was designed for it. Our heart was designed to grow the fruit of the Spirit. Designed for it. But if I'm allowing my heart to be, to, to be susceptible to the world all the time, and just allowing my ears and my eyes to be bombarded by all kinds of media and garbage and lies and strife and you know, just the, the nonsense of the world continually, man, it will kill that fruit. And we need to learn how to create this target-rich environment and realize that, man, you know, it, it's like, you know, when I, uh, uh, you know, like I said, if, if I'm in Tulsa, let's, for instance, if I'm, if I'm hiking in the woods, I'm not going to see a fern. But one thing that you do have to think about when you're hiking in the woods in Tulsa is ticks. You don't know what a tick is. Oh, my lands, those things are of the devil. 
I remember the one time we're sitting there, we're, we're, me and my friend, we'd gone uh, to, to one of the lakes, and they had a wooded area around the lake, and so we decided to go hiking into the wooded area around the lake, and I'd heard about ticks, I'd never experienced a tick before, because I'm from western Oregon, we don't have ticks around here really, and um, at least not in Seaside, up in that area, obviously, it's too, way too cold and damp. But, uh, but so here, what we did was we, uh, it was me and me and my friend Cruz. You guys remember Cruz? Alicio Mesa Cruz. And he's a friend of mine. And, uh, and so we, here we are. Before we go in, we tucked our shirts all in, made sure our sleeves were all the way down, you know, just tight, made sure that our pants were tucked into our socks, you know, and we're like, okay, we're going in. You know, now these are things you don't have to do in Oregon, you know, but we're going in. And I, we go in this path and I made sure, I mean, I was adamantly, just making sure that I did not touch one plant. Didn't touch one plant on this walk that I was going on, okay? Because I didn't want to tick, you know? And so I'm just like, you know, making sure no plants are touching me, you know? And I'm walking through, and you can't really enjoy a walk. I just want to tell you this right now. You know, it's, it's hard to enjoy when you're, you know, looking after yourself in such a manner. But I'm just like, you know, going after this thing. And uh, I probably look like a total freak, you know? But anyway... But so we go up, I come back down, you know, and, uh, and so we get down to the bottom of the path. And I'm like, okay, we need to do a body check, you know. So in other words, we need to check for ticks, you know. And so we both, we pull our shirts up, you know, we, we check each other, you know, make sure there's no ticks. Yep, no ticks, good deal, you know, whatever. We go home, the next day I found two ticks. I was so mad. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What more could I do? You know, I don't know what I could have done. But they got on me because I was in the environment where they were. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. Now, ticks suck your blood. You know, that's just what they do. They get on you and they start sucking your blood. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you, that's what sin does. Sin, if you walk into the environment where sin exists, I tell you, it will get on you. And it'll suck your blood out. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how careful you think you're being, you need to walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fill us of the flesh. If you walk in that environment. Now turn over there to, to Romans chapter 7. Praise God. We're just about there. Are we getting something? It's just so simple though. Because the, the environment that I'm in will determine uh, what I, you know, basically what's going to get on me, what's not going to get on me. It's going to determine what I experience. If I'm hiking in Tulsa, I guarantee you I won't see a fern, but I probably will get some ticks. If I'm hiking in Oregon, I won't have to think about ticks, but I will see ferns. Just because of the environment. And if I can actually begin to adjust the environment that I'm in, sin isn't really a big deal if I just adjust the environment. Um, because I can walk in the Spirit. It won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Praise God. Anyway, Romans chapter 7. And it says here, um, this, is, this is really what Paul's dealing with here. He says, uh, uh, let's see here. Um, verse 15. It says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Any, you guys have ever been there before? I've been there. If then, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And then he goes, you know what? In your flesh, you can't find how to do what's good. He says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Verse 20. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. If the, it says, I find then a law, verse 21, that evil is present with me. 
uh, the, the one who, who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So he's going, listen, my inward man, it, it loves God. It loves, it loves the, the, the way of God. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage, this body of death? Now, praise God, he doesn't leave it there. Glory to God. See, a lot of people read that verse and they go, yep, see there? See? But look, he didn't end it there. Verse 25. I thank God <laughs> through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, now he didn't end it there either, did he? Nope. Even though we divided it, God didn't divide it. Verse 1, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has what? Made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Praise God. God did by sending His Son, His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who what? Who do not walk in the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here He says, listen, so there's still a walk that we have to do. We walk according to the Spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. This is simple, isn't it? He says right here, here's the key. If you want to live by the Spirit, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And he goes on. He says, for to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Praise God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But, praise God, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Praise God. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. Man, you can just go on and on with this. But, but understand this. He's just, he's just talking to us about this very thing. He goes, listen, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. All I have to do is walk it out. And how do I walk it out? I set my mind on the things of the Spirit. He who sets his mind on the things of the Spirit will live in the, fle- in, in the Spirit. He who sets his mind on the things of the flesh will live in the flesh. It's very simple. Colossians chapter 3 says to set our minds on things above and not on the things of the earth. It's so simple. And as, as the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If I just choose to set my mind, like I said, I set my goal, I, I realize there's a sin-free life I can live, I set my heart with humility, and then I set my mind. I set my mind on the things above. I set my mind into the Word of God. I, I, it's going to come, like it says over there in, in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, I won't turn over there, but in 1 Peter chapter 2 it says, as newborn babes, we desire what? The sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. You get in the Word of God. You've got to be in the Word of God. And, and, and I tell you, I, there's, there's things in my life that I just battled and battled and battled for years and years and years. And I, I would sit there and arm wrestle with them, and I would sit there and try to willpower my way through it. And then finally I'm just like, okay, God, I don't have a stinking clue here. And then what did I do? I set my mind on things above, and I started focusing on walking in the Spirit. 
And I remember there was times when I'd be sitting there and I'd be walking in the Spirit. And I remember one time in, in particular, I'm sitting there on my couch and, and, and the Lord reminded me about a thing I used to battle. I battled it for, for years. And it was a stronghold in my life. And it was non-existent. Whew, glory to God. And he reminded me about that. And I honestly, I looked to my left and it was like it was so far in the past I didn't even know what it looked like anymore. And I laughed out loud. I laughed. I go, oh my goodness, that used to have a hold on me? Are you kidding me? But that was a thing that I would sit there and I would weep and weep and, and just because I was so hurt about it and so shameful about it. But it was like, praise God, I'm free. But I didn't have to wrestle it to get that way. Simply walk in the Spirit. And I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But I can set my mind on things above. It's so simple. It really is. Praise God. Let's just wrap it up right there. We can go on and on. But glory to God. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Father. You've given this life, Father God, to us that we can live free from the law of sin and death. Totally free. Lord God, I just thank you that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, we just thank you that we can set our minds on things above. Lord God, we can set, Lord God, our hearts. We can set, Father God, our hearts to a place of humility. We can clothe ourselves with humility. And we can walk this thing out, Father God. Just show us, show us how to take these steps. Lord God, it's one step at a time. It's just a walk, Lord God. Show us where we are. Show us what our next step is. You said the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. And so right now, I just thank you that you have ordered our steps before us. And we just, Lord God, we don't try to look 10 years down the road. We just want the step, Father God. And I just thank you that as we walk this out, Lord God. Oh, praise God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And we just choose to allow the Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. And we give you the glory for it in Jesus' Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom and Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to get new updates and check out our podcast page on Podbean to find all our previous posts and full-length messages. We'll see you next time and have a blessed day.